Point Fellowship. And happy Mother's Day to all the moms that are here this morning. So if you hadn't heard that yet today, you've heard it now. So we are excited. Uh, we're going to continue our time in prayer this morning as we have for a long time now. We're going to be praying for the, mother, the mothers that are here worshiping with us. We're also going to be praying for the families whose mothers have gone on before us. Thankful for their contributions to their children's lives and the heritage that they leave behind. We're going to be praying for another fellowship, Round em Up Cowboy Church in Wills Point. Pastor Benny Chaffin and his wife Susan. We're going to be praying for another people group, the Kermi people in India. The main religion is Hinduism. 22,106,000 people. Zero believers in the country. And there's no known evangelistic outreach. So we're going to be praying for them. We're going to be praying also for our new pastor and family, Colin Lindsay Carlson. Sitting here on the front, everybody. Yay! <clears throat> now, they didn't just slip in. We knew they were coming. Uh, but with Mother's Day and the children's dedication later, uh, plus their children are still with, with Lindsay's parents right now. So they'll all be here next week. We're going to present them for membership. And then the elder's going to do a laying on of hands for Kyle. So he's coming in as an elder and our, our teaching pastor. So y'all don't want to miss that. Be sure and be here next Sunday. So we're excited that they're here. Then we're going to be praying for our time this morning as we continue our study in the epistle of 1 John. So join me in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we do come before you this morning thanking you for your presence here. And Father, you are here not because we deserve your presence, but you're here because you love us. You draw us into a relationship with you. Father, for that, we worship you and we praise you and we give you honor. Father, I pray for the mothers that are sitting here in the room today that you would bless them in a very special way today as we set aside this time to honor the mothers. Father, for families whose mothers have gone on before, I pray that they will continue that heritage that the moms established in their lives as we remember those who are no longer with us. Father, I also lift up Roundem Up Cowboy Church in Wills Point as Pastor Benny Chafin has prepared this week to deliver your word to that people. Father, I pray that you would bless them in a special way today. Give them ears to hear and speak through Benny clearly the message of your word. Father, we also then lift up the Kermi people in India. As far as what was reported, what I read, there, are not, there is not one single believer in this people group. Father, I pray for, the, for that people that you would claim people from that nation to be your own. That you would send someone to preach the word, to speak the word to at least one person in that group so that then your word would spread through that nation. Father, we trust you in doing that, but it needs people with feet on the ground. So, Father, I pray that you put those people on the ground there to touch the lives of the Kermi people. Father, I also lift up Kyle and Lindsay Carlson as they're in town working to um, close on the house and solidify that, get everything ready for their children then to join them later this week, that they can move in and get settled. Father, we are so excited that you have called them here 
and the story of how they got here could have only been orchestrated by you. And we trust you in that. And Father, we're excited to be a part of that, to be able to witness your working. Father, I pray for our next chapter in the life of Cross Point, what it's going to look like. We don't know, but we know that you absolutely know. And we trust you in that. Father, I pray that you bless them this week and bless the closing of the home, the house. Everything will be done in order. And you've got this, Father. We know that. <clears throat> Father, then I pray for our time here this morning as we continue our study in 1 John chapter 5. Father, teach us the truth of your word. Help us rehearse this truth in our lives on a daily basis. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Now, as we continue this study, and we're in 1 John chapter 5, we've seen the Apostle John's writings circle around four main themes. The love of God, keeping His commandments, loving our brothers and sisters, and then fourth, an accurate doctrine concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, John continues to deal with these four themes one after another, very circular. You'll go from one to the other. We can start anywhere in that circle. We end up in the same four. Okay, we've seen that throughout the book of John, throughout the epistle of 1 John. Last week, <coughs> excuse me, last week we spent time on the love of God and keeping his commandments. And in doing so, we overcome the world. As we saw in verses 4 and 5, John clearly points out how we overcome the world. In 1 John 5, beginning in verse 4, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? John points out clearly that we must have an honest and biblically correct view of Jesus Christ. So you'll never hear me talk about politically correct anything. What you will hear me talk about is biblically correct. That's where we must stand. So we're going to be talking this morning about a biblically correct view of this all-important doctrine of who Jesus Christ is. And a question may come up, why should we bother with these things? You may say, right, come on, Morris. And all the time at Cross Point, we've had elders keeping a close watch on the teachings here at Cross Point. Isn't that sufficient to build that strength in us and to hold us in right place? Are we really in any danger of false doctrines slipping into the church where we are. Now, let me tell you this. Kendra and I attended church at a, another fellowship here in town a number of years ago. One of the men in that church, he was a fellow deacon with me at the time, he had a very unique job out here at the plant. At that time, it was E-Systems. Okay, it's gone through several name changes since then. But I remember it as E-Systems, even though I wasn't employed out there. But I was also on a deer lease with this man. So we talked quite a bit. <clears throat> he, uh, 
he had a very unique job in this world. He was actually employed by the government and just attached to e-systems. This man's job was to study the defense systems of other countries. He would then identify the strengths of those defense systems. Then he would figure out how to defeat those defense systems. He's a brilliant man, and that's what he did. If we take our strengths for granted, that's where the enemy can slip in. Under the door, quietly, and start chipping away at the foundation of what we believe to be true. So do we need to look at this again? Everybody do this. We do. We need to keep our eyes on our strengths. So that's our goal today. We're going to be reading in 1 John 5, verses 6 through 12. And if you're able, let me ask you to stand as we read the Word of God. 1 John 5, beginning in verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater for this is the testimony of God that he has, become, he has born according, he has born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in, him, in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the Word of God. You may be seated. Now, I asked a question a few minutes ago. Why should we bother with such things? Why should we bother with things such as false doctrine? Are we safe from them? Should we study them? I do have an answer. <clears throat> but first, I want to simply list some of the false doctrines that are floating around the Internet and our world today. And these are seven false doctrines I found on one website. I didn't have to look far. I found one website. The first false doctrine. Now, please remember what I just said. These are false they're not true. They hold no truth. They're absolute lies from Satan. Okay? Got that down. All right. Number one, Jesus never existed. Number two, Jesus was a spirit being, but not flesh. Number three, Christ was the first created being. Thus, he had a beginning and therefore is not eternal. Number four, Jesus was an angel. Number five, Jesus was the same person as the Father, 
He only appeared different. Number six, Jesus was a messianic manipulator. In other words, he was an imposter. Number seven, Jesus was a good man, nothing more. Again, all of these are false. If you didn't hear it before, hear it now. All of these are absolutely false. We're going to look at the truth this morning. Now, these are just a few of the false statements about Jesus that I found just in this one specific website. It went a lot further than those seven, but I just encapsulated it down to seven. We don't have to go any further than that. We don't have to study what those are. We don't have to debunk those false doctrines. Why? Well, R.C. Sproul wrote a book back in 1986 by the name of Life Views. And in that book, he pointed out that there's a number of isms in the world. And he pointed out what those were. And if, if you're interested in studying that, it's a great book. But at the same time I was studying that book, I also came across another statement by John MacArthur where he said, Treasury agents that are taught to identify counterfeit money are trained for many hours, days, and weeks in studying the money, the actual currency of the United States, <clears throat> in order to detect counterfeit bills. You know how many counterfeit bills there are shown in those weeks of study? Zero. Not one counterfeit bill. So what do they do? They spend all of their time studying the real thing. And their knowledge of that currency is so ingrained, when a counterfeit shows up, they instantly know it's wrong. People at Crosspoint, that's what we're to do. We're to study the real thing, not all the isms. We don't need to do that. We need to study the truth of God's word to be like the Bereans that Paul talked about that daily dug through scripture so that they would know that what was being taught was true. That's what I propose today. So we're not going to be involved in studying the isms. To know the truth of the doctrine regarding Jesus Christ so that we will know the faults when it appears. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be a more discerning follower of Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews in chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We're to be a discerning people. So in our study of Jesus, let's dig into what God reveals through John in this next section of chapter 5. In verses 6 through 12, we see this theme surfacing again by John, the true nature of Jesus Christ as born in the flesh, 100% God and 100% flesh. Three things are brought out in this passage. Verses 6 through 8 is the testimony of Jesus Christ 
about Jesus Christ and his person. Verses 9 and 10, we are given reasons why we should accept this testimony. Verse 11, we have the consequences spelled out for us when we do accept that, that testimony. And then in verse 12, what happens when we reject God? So let's dig into verse 6. Start unpacking this. In 1 John verse, chapter 5, verse 6, this is he who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. Now, why would John focus here on the statement that Jesus Christ came by water and by blood? Some of the early church, this, this may have been the very first false doctrine that slipped in, in the early church. Some in the early church would attempt to explain that Jesus was born a human. Then when he came up out of the baptism waters, when he was baptized by John, the Holy Spirit came upon him and he became God. And then right before he was crucified, that spirit went back to heaven and he died as a human. John wants us to know clearly that Jesus Christ, the God-man, was born a baby. Thus the doctrine of the incarnation of Jesus is vital to our understanding of who Christ is. Martin Lloyd-Jones makes the following statement. I believe John mentions this testimony in witness of the water and the blood in order to establish the unity and the oneness of the person, Jesus. Not two persons, but one person of Jesus Christ with two natures. 100% God and 100% human. John gives us this certainty in his writing. Now there's a shift in how John refers to Jesus in two verses here. In verse 5, John refers to Jesus as the Son of God. We know that. He's, he is God. There can be no doubt of that. And then in verse 6, we see this Seemingly minor shift, but it's necessary and it's actually huge. He refers to Jesus as Jesus Christ. He is the Christ. He is God. It's through him that we receive our salvation. He makes this distinction very clearly. And by the testimony of the Spirit, it says Christ came. Okay. He was here. The Holy Spirit bears witness to this fact, and it is his task given by the Father that the Holy Spirit leads us into the truth of his word. The Spirit bears witness that Jesus is the Christ who came to atone for our sins. The Holy Spirit abides in us as followers of Jesus Christ. We see that truth in John 14, verses 16 and 17, where Jesus himself said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
The ESV Study Bible also states that the most common interpretation of the phrase water and blood is most likely a reference not only to the incarnate birth of Jesus, but also the, Baptist of Je- the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. The blood then signifies the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross of Calvary. And in his atoning death, Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins through his atoning work. This is testified by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who was sent by God and is the Spirit of truth. The Spirit gives testimony to the correct view of the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God and our Savior through whom we have a reconciled relationship with God. Now we see again in verses 7 and 8, John points out that there are three witnesses to the correct doctrine and our belief in Jesus Christ. While there were people who witnessed John's birth, there were people that witnessed his life, his earthly ministry, as he taught his disciples, the trials that he went through that night his condemnation to death on the cross. There were human witnesses to his crucifixion, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And his ascension back to heaven. To his rightful place with the Father. Now John points out that there are three who testify. Because you see the testimony of who Jesus is cannot and is not merely based on human testimony. There is additional testimony through God, through first, the Spirit. Referring to the testimony the Spirit gives us as to the fact that Jesus Christ came. Secondly, that testimony is by water baptism by John the Baptist and the Spirit descending upon Jesus in the form of a dove. In Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then we see this testimony, the third testimony, who Jesus is by the blood. The blood of Jesus Christ, who shed his blood and provided the cleansing for us from all unrighteousness, as he did so on the cross. In 1 John 1, 7, we saw this back in January. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But why three witnesses? 
See, God had a purpose to the number three. And it goes back to Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 19.15, A single witness shall not suffice against any person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witness, witnesses shall a charge be established. So God provides three witnesses to attest to the fact, give testimony to who Jesus is. This principle is continued into the New Testament concerning charges. In Matthew 18, verse 16, Jesus said, But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Again, Jesus goes back to Old Testament principle and the fact that they needed three witnesses to bear to anything. And then they would be true. So these three witnesses agree, thereby, thereby providing persuasive confirmation to the person of Jesus Christ. And these are not just human witnesses, but these are witnesses that God has provided, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and our Savior. <clears throat> Verse 9 is a simple yet powerful declaration from John that these words are not man's words, but they are from God. In doing so, John claims divine authority for his teaching in this. In 1 John 5, 9, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has born concerning his son. So the word's very clear, and the word is from God. Next, in, chap in chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, God's word says, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. As we examine verse 10, it's clear that as followers of Jesus Christ, as the son of God, and the testimony in our lives, it exists within us, ourselves, through the spirit. That belief comes from God. It's not something that we can generate by ourselves. We can't just wake up one morning and, and think, you know, I, I think I believe in God today. Maybe I'll look for this salvation. And the world would say that we have that ability, but God says we do not. It has to come from God through the Holy Spirit. The only way we can have that assurance is from God and God alone. Just as God is the active agent in our salvation that we examined last week, He is the active agent in our belief in the testimony of who Jesus Christ is. That belief only comes from God. John clearly states the opposing situation here, though. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar 
because he has not believed the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. We've encountered this truth earlier in 1 John, that the one who rejects the Son of God as Savior, or they are indifferent to him, are provoking God to his face. That's a dire choice indeed. Now, I can go on for several more sermons just on that point. I ain't got time this morning. We've examined it in the past. We'll examine it again in the future. Why? Because God's going to bring that back around to strengthen our beliefs. He just does that. So as John continues the truth filled, in the truth-filled proclamation in verse 11, and John continues the truth-filled proclamation in verse 11, Verse 11 says, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. ESV Study Bible makes this statement clearly. And I quote, the testimony supporting faith in Christ is not a vague spiritual inkling but has definite substance. It is the message of Jesus' incarnation, death, and resurrection through which eternal life has been made available through faith in his Son. You may recall what, I, what the, the passage we read last week where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we added to that he is the only way. He is the only truth and he is the only life and he says no one comes to the father but through me doesn't get any clearer than that in verse 12 John makes it very clear the distinction of those who have eternal life and those who do not 1 John 5 12 says whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. God, through John's writings, made it very clear for us today. This verse is an antithetical statement. Uh, that's a real fancy word that means either or. Okay, that's all it means. It's an either or. Either you have life through Jesus or you don't. There's no gray area. See, in our existence, we like gray. We, we, we like gray areas that I'm not quite over here, but I'm not over here, so I'm in the middle. See, there's no fence to sit on in God's truth. It's either or, period. There is nothing in between. We either have eternal life with God through our faith in Jesus Christ and by God's calling, or we don't have eternal life with God. But it is an eternity separated from God. That's who Jesus Christ is. That's what the testimony is of who Jesus is, and that's the doctrine that we believe in Jesus Christ, that he is from God, as God, he is also from God as man. At the same time. We can't ex I can't explain that. As I encouraged you last week, don't ask me. And nobody did, which I appreciate that. 
Because I can't explain it, but God says it's true, so we believe it. So our application for today from this passage. We are all, we're to all ask ourselves some questions. To help us determine the evidence of faith in our lives with God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. We need to ask these questions. The first group of questions, what is Jesus to me? Who is he? Who is he in my life? What do I think about him? Do I believe that he came from God, born a human, and is also 100% God? We ask this to help us determine if there's any uncertainty. If there's any uncertainty, we need to nail that down. We do that through prayer and time with God. We need to understand who Jesus is, and we need to believe that with every step that we take. If there is no uncertainty, then you have eternal life through Christ, period. If you have no uncertainty, you have eternal life with God. Secondly, what is my attitude toward God? If I find that I love God because he first loved me, that he sent his son in order that I might have a redeemed relationship with him, then I then have eternal life through Christ. As I've asked Jesus to be my Lord, that's an obedience to God, and I have eternal life. You have eternal life. And then the next question do I keep in my thoughts the importance of being obedient to God's commandments for my life? If I know that my love for God grows as I keep his commandments, and remember what was said last week that Jesus said, my burden is light. You know, keeping his commandments is not a burdensome thing. And if we keep God's commandments, then we have that assurance that we have eternal life with God. Folks, that's the assurance that God gives us. That is the absolute assurance that God works in us. He's the active agent as he draws us to Jesus. As we accept Jesus and ask him to be our Lord, we have that assurance as a gift from God. As we have faith in Jesus Christ, we have victory. Because of our faith. Join me in prayer. Father, as we come before you, we thank you for so much. We can't even list all that we should be thankful for, but we can thank you for Jesus. We should absolutely thank you for the doctrines that we understand of who Jesus is. He's unchanging. He's perfect. He's eternal. He is our Savior. He experienced in his flesh what we experience. He was presented temptations just as we're presented temptations. And yet he never 
never sinned, not even in his thoughts. And because of that, he knows what we need, and we need that redeemed, reconciled relationship with God. And for that purpose, he paid the price for our sins on the cross. And because of that, that hallelujah moment that we can express our need for Jesus to be our Savior, and we need to be forgiven of our sins. That's the fact of who Jesus is. And that testimony has been given, not just by human testimony, but by God himself, in terms of who his son is. Father, we thank you for that truth. We thank you for embedding that truth in us and strengthen that truth in us as we examine your word, as we love you, as we love one another, as we keep your commandments, and as we have the facts of the true doctrine of Jesus Christ in our lives. Father, I thank you for this time this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.